Welcome to the Recovery Lab. I'm your host, Joe Lemon. This podcast is sponsored by Elevation Medical, and today's special guest is with Dr. Michelle Broadhurst. And you are in for a treat today with Michelle. She is a rock star. We get into a lot of interesting conversations around neuroplasticity, using, of course, different types of modalities, like around shockwave therapy, but really how they all work together and the differences between how humans and animals perceive pain and how they manage their injuries. So anyway, I think you guys will love it. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Michelle Broders. Really excited to have you onto the podcast. I've been hearing a lot about you and I've watched a couple of interviews <laughs> previously. Cindy, uh, who actually manages the whole rehab space for us on the with the animal side, um, she speaks really highly of you and she says, look, she's a rock star. All you got to do is just make sure you have a nice cup of like caffeine with you and then she can take it. <laughs> so I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> I can work with that. Cindy's too kind. <laughs> well, so you know what? I mean, um, if we could just dive right into it, if you don't mind, uh, do you mind giving the audience a little bit of your background? Because you have an interesting mm-hmm. background where you have worked on humans and animals, right? I mean, you work mm-hmm. with both, yeah. both on the chiropractic side as well as the human acupuncture side. Is that right? Yeah. So I am originally from South Africa. And I graduated from chiropractic school in end of 2003, beginning of 2004. And I went straight into being a, um, going back to school and doing a, um, a diploma, I suppose, a certification in, chiro- in sports chiropractic. So I'm an internationally certified chiropractic sports physician, which is quite a mouthful. Don't try to say that on tequila. Um, and so I really worked as a tennis sportsman from 2004 onwards, which was wonderful. And it opens up so much opportunity. Um, and as you know, sports people are some of the hardest patients to treat because they want to get back to things really quickly. They don't want to rest and anything like that. So my practice, um, and I worked with my husband, who's also a chiropractor and an acupuncturist. So our practice really evolved into treating high level sports people, as well as mom and pops and babies and kids and eventually um from 2006 i started doing i came back came to the states and studied at options for animals which um is an animal chiropractic school so we expanded our scope and i was one of the first animal chiropractors in south africa wow um so i opened a rather large, um, small and large animal practice. So my speciality was in stud and thoroughbred racehorses. And then just um, everything dog that you can imagine from agility to um, your household pets to cats to it just took off flying. So it's been a real adventure. Um, I'm also a human acupuncturist and I specialize in, well, I have a special interest in dry needling and myofascial pain. And so I've written a couple of books about myofascial pain in dogs and myofascial pain in horses and myofascial pain in people. Um, And just the various ways that we can go about treating myofascial pain as clinicians much more effectively than what we're doing. So that's my history. And now I'm in the U.S. I'm, I, I got so many questions for you already. So I can see exactly <laughs> how this is going to go. <laughs> First question, what city in South Africa were you based? Cape Town. Hey, Tom. Okay, so you're right there on the coast. Beautiful, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and so, you know, you know, when I think about myofascial pain, right, because I work mainly on the human side, I get a mm-hmm. chance to kind of see a couple high, high performing athletes every once in a while using our actual products. But it, is there a difference between how it, how it functions in animals versus how it functions in humans? Like, I know that racehorses are high performers as well. They're just as athletic mm-hmm. as any of the human beings that are out here, you know, trying to score points. So, is there a difference in, in pretty much how they kind of handle pain? That's an excellent question. And I tell, I'm, going to, I'm going to get to it in a little bit of a roundabout way. So one of the really cool things that I've learned through my journey as a practitioner is how important um, your brain is. And your brain is really the, I I always explain it when I'm lecturing, that the brain is really the tap, right, that holds the water source. And then you've got your host pipe that is your spinal cord. And then eventually it peters out and it goes to your sprinkler system, which goes to feed your flowers and everything grows and is beautiful. Now, it's exactly the same in animals as it is in people. But the interesting thing about this, and I'm sure that you know this already, that um, the center that, that deals with chronic pain 
And remember that when we're looking at chronic, we've got acute, which is like below three days. Then we've got subacute, which lasts up to two, about two weeks. And anything past that is really classified as chronic. So when we're looking at the brain and we're looking at MRIs, the center that, that keeps on firing up and lighting up in, on a contrast MRI is the anterior cingulate cortex. Now, the interesting thing about that is in people, the anterior cingulate cortex is not just about chronic pain. It's also the center that holds our emotions and our decision-making. Oh, yeah, this is good. Yeah, yeah. So what's really interesting about that is if you look at fibromyalgia patients, for example, Mm -hmm. And the neuroplasticity of the brain is so incredible that when you look at fibromyalgia, it's always hand in hand. It's very much associated with anxiety, depression, and chronic pain. But we can't define it as more than that. Now, what's really interesting from the animal world is that there is no placebo. Placebo doesn't exist in the animal world. So they just want to go and play frisbee and play ball, and they want to be good. And you see it in dogs that are chronically injured. They just stop using a limb. But one of the first things that brings um, people to us as practitioners is those owners that are really in, in touch and in tune with their, um, with their dogs or their horses or their pet of any sort goes, Fluffy's just not himself. Yeah. And that is one of our biggest red flags. And so I'm answering this in a very roundabout way. I'm so what's really interesting is that the brain is the same. And we can hypothesize, let's put it that way, that the brain is the same in animals as it is in human beings. It's just the input and the output is different. So whereas as human beings, we become our pain, our pain syndrome. Animals don't. So what I found just almost two decades in practice is like very often people will come into my office and I'll take a history on the human front and they'll go, I had this, I had this, I had this. Oh, and I am this. And it's so funny how people, we become our problem. So I am a diabetic. I am an alcoholic. Yeah. I, I have had four knee replacements or four knee operations. So now I have a dodgy knee. And so it becomes part of our persona. Animals aren't like that. They don't want to be in pain. They don't, and not that we do, but it doesn't, it doesn't trans, um, transmutate the same way. So it's really interesting when you were talking about the nervous system and actual um, interpretation of pain is very, very similar. It's just how we produce it and how we put it out there that's so different. I love that response. I mean, I mean, for so many reasons, as a, as a guy that has gone through a decent amount of injuries, just trying to be an athlete that I was never built to be. <laughs> and, 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 I, and, and literally, you know, there's this emotional trauma that comes with being injured, right? Like not only do you yeah. go through the injury, but there's also this, like you all, you, I mean, you almost need therapy for like both, <laughs> right? hundred percent. You absolutely do. Yeah. yeah. Honest, honestly, we do. And, and that's the beauty about neuroplasticity and, and things like um, psychoneuroimmunology is that's what's coming through. And that's what a lot of athletes are having to do is to change the way that the neural processes are inputted and outputted so that we get a different neural response from the learned behavior and the learned compensations. And that's what's interesting in the comparison um, animal to human is actually very similar. We compensate in the same manner that um, right across species, mm -hmm. because if we can't do something, we're, our bodies are so much smarter than we can even understand or try to comprehend. You know, the minute that we start to get an injury, we have some deficit, something else is going to kick in. And it's the same with the animals. And very often it's only down the line after a certain degree of compensation that we really have the kind of free fall, all fall down, everything's broken effect. Well, well, no, you know, you know this is this is really this is a really fun conversation because have you seen any research come out where it's where it's speaking towards how um, neuroplasticity, where we can change how our body processes different things, right? Information, I'm assuming, um, and we can try to create new behaviors. Um, is yeah. there any research that like shows how we can kind of you know have a higher pain threshold? Has has anybody come up with anything? You know, have you seen any of those? They have actually, and okay. and that's that whole new kind of um, nuance which they've called psychoneuroimmunology, mm. which really, if we break it down, is hypnosis. Okay. So if you look back, and I think I'm, I'm completely under correction, and I I'm terrible at quoting papers and things like that, but I remember about eight years ago. 
pre-Olympics, they were doing a lot of this um, kind of psychological as well as physical training. So they were having people like imagine their race, imagine their event. And what they did is they linked them up to um, electrodes, basically like you would for a... Um, a nerve conduction exactly and we started to seeing the hyper firing of the nervous system and the muscular system as if they were running their race interesting so it's very very interesting and and that's why the link between the physicality and the brain is really important so that whole kind of psychoneuroimmunology the um the kind of hypnosis side of things is really incredible. What your body can actually achieve if you change the neural pathways is fairly phenomenal. And I haven't kept up to date, I'll be honest, with like looking for research articles. But there were a couple that came out at that time that showed that literally almost every physiological event um, occurred while they were sitting in a chair imagining their event. That's why. As if they were doing it. Yeah. How cool is that? No, super cool. I mean, I mean, it just got, I mean, to me, this is really speaks to where we're going in the future, right? And, and, mm -hmm. and, and just the possibilities that we're just starting to begin to get our arms around. And, you know, you know, what's so funny about, about our industry and I'm speaking like more of that rehab physical medicine space. Mm -hmm. um, it, it seems to have been a lot of art form, you know, with mm -hmm. kind of how we've done things, but, but a lot of that art is starting to get backed by science, I feel like. And, mm -hmm. And we're seeing more and more evidence-based, you know, research come out backing up some of the things that we intuitively have kind of known. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, empirically, you know, the, the trouble is, and, and this is always the issue, is that until we actually have the funding to go and research it, yeah. it's really hard to research it. And if it, we're going to disprove prior belief systems, especially something that is linked to a machine or a process or a medication or anything like that, no one wants to lose money. So, you know, God forbid your body can heal itself. But, um, you know, as a chiropractor, that's really my principle is that we are merely as practitioners, we are catalysts in creating pathways that allows the body to innately heal itself because it wants to. But we keep on string halting the body and stopping it from moving forward by putting a whole bunch of complicated things into play that may not actually benefit us, but, but you know, be towards our demise. But if we allow the body to do what it does best, which is heal itself and work at an optimal level, it's amazing what we can achieve. No, no, 100%. I mean, you know, so I'm really curious about your experience treating myofascial pain. I mean, because you obviously have a ton of experience in it. You wrote some books on it that obviously speaks to it. Um, you, you know, like once we talk about hamstrings, some of these things that we're doing, because there's a lot of devices and tools out there that people kind of go to. I remember going to these trade shows and I'm sure you've been to plenty of them where it's booth after booth of how you can solve for different issues. But what's some things that, I mean, um, and you don't have to, you know, go directly towards us if, if it doesn't make sense, but like what's some things holistically that you're seeing out there that are some really good options for treating myofascial pain? Um... Well, I laughed at Cindy when she asked me to do this podcast because she knows how much I love Shockwave. Because yeah. um, Shockwave is one of my, it's absolutely, as a modality, it is phenomenal. Um, you know, on the human front, if you're looking at things like uh, plantar fasciitis, there's nothing that comes close to treating plantar fasciitis like Shockwave. Mm -hmm. um, you know, any kind of machine, and, and um, years ago when I was at very much involved in horse racing and things like that. I don't know if you know, but in the horse world now, we're not allowed to shockwave horses before a race. I've heard about this. But... Because they did so well. Yeah. Well, well so... so basically, shockwave, sorry. No, 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 no. I've, no, carry I've... on, what are you gonna ask? I was just gonna ask, is it because it's more of that um, analgesic effect that, that's happening where they can't, yes. they can kind of move through the pain? Is, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. So that's that's the concern is that the endorphins and the analgesic effect is so, so successful that it's not just, you know, a lot of things such as um, certain things like photobiomodulation mm -hmm. and light therapy and things like that, really, really helpful at the time, but it doesn't seem to have um, the extensivity as shockwave so shockwave can last up to you know, the analgesic effect can last up to 72 hours with shockwave wow which is huge i mean 
just looking at it from a pain perspective, if we can take that pain away for 72 hours, think about the processes that we can put into play from a neuroplasticity perspective and a biomechanical perspective to change things repetitively so that, you know, we have this total different neurological input. And I really like Shockwave for a number of reasons. There's, there's very, very little on a, that I find personally as a practitioner, I can do with tendon ligaments and things on a really deep level that is super effective. If I'm doing Graston or I'm doing, you know, anything like that, cupping, anything like that, it doesn't seem to get deep enough and really hit the weak spot, so to speak, that I'm not creating microtrauma. And that's always my concern, because if we're doing something physical, the chances of us creating an inflammatory process and creating microtrauma is very, very high. So now the body doesn't only have to heal the original injury, it also has to in, like kind of heal what I've done to it. Um, and there's benefits with that, you know, like obviously with needles, grass, and all of those things that create um, vasodilation and a lot of blood flow to an area does bring the blood flow to the area, does bring all those good um, mechanisms, healing mechanisms. But now we're also kind of getting this mixed response because we don't know what we're meant to heal first. Mm. With Shockwave, I really like it because of the angiogenesis side of things. So it's recreating and it's actually um, creating new blood vessels, which is incredible. We can't do that with anything else, mm. you know. Yes, potentially PRP and some stem cells and mesenchymal stuff. Yes, sure. But it's on a, such a different level. And the fact that we have seen mesenchymal stem cell growth with shockwave is incredible. I mean, that just brings our healing potential up to such a different level without introducing any kind of invasive thing. So it really is one of my, my, um, my top modalities lasers helpful i think that there's been a huge hype in the veterinary world about laser um i think the biggest problem with any modality and any technique actually it doesn't matter if it's a modality or not is it's in the hands of the of the practitioner and most of the things where i find that things don't work are either being used incorrectly so poor technique or it's not being used for the correct thing at the right time and so there's i mean um uh PEMF is also e exploding i'm sure you know that um pulse electromagnetic yeah. yeah i mean that's going crazy it's also very helpful with certain within certain parameters and and i think this is this is the thing with any practitioner whether it's it's human or veterinary it doesn't actually matter you've got to know your parameters like when do we use certain things? Because if we only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, you know, I'm just kind of smiling throughout this whole conversation because you're bringing up a lot of tools that I see in the marketplace, PEMF, lasers, um, mm -hmm. dry needling, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and how I normally try to get my arms around things and is just really understand kind of what are we looking to accomplish when we introduce different modalities. Yeah. So, so I, I would love to kind of walk through a couple of these with you, but, but, you know, one, one point I want to back up with too, is, um, you know, having that numbing effect, right. Especially that they won't let it, that they won't let it be used or not, um, horse races. Like that's been known, at least when I talk to other doctors as like a negative impact right like because they're like oh it's just it's just numbing it it's just it's just numbing it right so that's that's something that's not really you know getting the outcomes that we that we truly want from the actual therapy um you, how did you respond to that because it's something that I, yes i i understand what they're saying but there is some things that that are beneficial from having yourself being able to take away some of that pain management or, or at least be able to manage the pain a little better 100 percent I mean, look at something really basic and um, something like TENS, okay, for example. Now, TENS is basically the gate control theory, yes. which is, you know, that's all it is. So we are blocking a pain receptor. And I mean, we're not going to go into too much detail and, and nonsense about that. But effectively, we're blocking a pain, a pain control unit and we're changing the way that the body perceives pain. Shockwave is doing the exact same thing. And, you know, saying that analgesia is a bad thing, well, break your leg 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. You know, we're using all these different things, kinesio tape, all of these things to try to change neurology. And if we have an effective shockwave treatment where we are creating analgesia, that is really one of, for me, one of the biggest benefits. Now, I understand it from a racehorse perspective is if they can't feel, they can break a leg. Yeah. And that's like, that's like, lights out, that's tickets. That's right. the big horse barn in the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's really where the issue comes in. You know, for most things, it's just the animal isn't able to self. So when you're asking a high performance, um, an animal to, to, to work at a high, high performance level, by doing shockwave and then potentially having that 72-hour analgesic effect, it could be detrimental only because they wouldn't feel when things are deteriorating like they would at a normal rate. So I think that's where it comes into play. If we use it effectively beforehand and we can moderate the response, I think it's really one of the biggest and most beneficial things um, about shockwave is the fact that it's got an analgesic effect. Now that doesn't mean go and then race the horse because that's just, you know, counterproductive. But when we do treating like suspensory ligament tears and strains and things like that, and especially things that are poorly vascularized, and we know ligaments and tendons, if you don't screw it up, can take up to 52 weeks to heal. Dinkum. I mean, that is categorized. We know that it's been proven time and time again. So by introducing something that creates angiogenesis and analgesia, we're not only increasing the blood flow to a very poorly vascularized area, stimulating healing, stimulating stem cell growth. We're also preventing biomechanical compensations because that animal or that person is going to weight bear much faster on that leg. We're going to have to do a lot less work later on to treat those compensations. So it doesn't make sense to me that we wouldn't use it in a clinical setting in the right parameters. Love that response. Thank you so much for, you know, just for kind of breaking that down. I think that's great. And, and you know, once we kind of look at different tools out there that, that a lot of doctors have access to, and just the fact that you uh, have so much history using acupuncture, I would love to get your take on the difference between shockwave therapy and acupuncture, because a lot of times you are kind of having that same, you know, force enter the actual tissue. Someone's using an actual needle, other ones using like focused sound waves. Um, how do you kind of separate when to kind of use either modality? Oof. So for me, they don't even, they don't even cross relate. Really? Okay, good, good. Um, so good. acupuncture, if we're talking about, so, so, I mean, look, you can, um, I'm going to try and say this PC and not swear on air. Um, <laughs> you can, you can mess with anything and create a, you know, sell ice to Eskimo. Um, so acupuncture for me, and, and really, I think any traditional TCM person will, will, um, pertain to this is really acupuncture is all about unblocking meridians so it's working on an internal chi flow so we're looking at taking those meridians figuring out where they blocked where we're not getting the complete um correct healing and kind of um basically um how do i explain this we're trying to create balance. So in Chinese medicine, everything is yin and yang. So we're trying to create a balance. Without a balance, there's dis-ease, which means that there's disease. So acupuncture is really focusing on where the blockages are so we can unblock those meridians so everything can flow correctly so the body can heal itself and work at an optimum level. Now, acupuncture goes right across the spectrum. So whether we're talking about sports acupuncture, which can contribute, you know, towards dry needling, which is much more focal. You know, if you look, talk to dry needling practitioners, they're not, um, they're not doing acupuncture per se. Yeah. They're doing dry needling. Now, dry needling is when you inject, insert an acupuncture needle into a trigger point. You get a twitch response, which stimulates and changes the um, reflex arc as far as bypassing the ATP cascade, which allows for the relaxation of that muscle, reforms the normal um, muscle integrity and tonality, and you take that myofascial trigger point away. 
Now in acupuncture, we call them marshy points, which is basically a painful point. So you can know apples and apples at that point. But when we're looking at shockwave, we're looking at a very specific, which is similar to dry needling. We're looking at a very specific area and we're focusing on that area. We're not trying to do the entire body, which we're trying to do in acupuncture is create that equilibrium and that balance. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. And so I guess to kind of probe a little bit further then, I'm, I'm really curious to kind of hear how you use the actual shockwave. Is it more localized or do you treat up and down the lines kind of, um, you know, up and down those actual fascial lines whenever you apply the shockwave? So it depends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it depends on a number of things. And I'll tell you what my biggest, um, my biggest contributor to making that decision is patient by patient personality. Interesting. Because some people, and definitely their pain tolerance. So for me, I don't think that shockwave is particularly painful. And some people have got this whole needle phobia. So yeah. they're not interested in acupuncture because they're like, they may be covered in tattoos, but they're like, don't bring a needle near me. Um, so again, I don't really see the point as a practitioner of trying to introduce something that is going to create more psychological block, which is going to stop the body from healing because of the fear component. And then we've also got a hormonal component involved because now we're getting endorphins, serotonin and all adrenaline pumping through their body. So that doesn't make sense to me. So again, have many tools in your toolbox so you can pick correctly for the person that you're going to treat. So um, and sometimes doing something like dry needling, which is fairly invasive, it can be very painful. Often after that, I'll shockwave because I'm getting that analgesic effect. I'm getting that stem cell reactivity. I'm getting that, you know, all of that good stuff, angiogenesis happening around those points. So very often I'll use two in collaboration. So the more invasive technique would be maybe to get rid of something um, immediately let's say you've got a trapezius trigger point that's been really bothering you. It's inhab inhibiting your range of motion. You're getting neck pain and headaches. So we stick a needle in there. And after that, we may go and treat that particular trigger point, but also the latent trigger points that haven't fired up yet and compensated. So it just depends on the patient. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you know what, this is, uh, this, this is one of those good conversations to have because a lot of times, I'm looking to pull out like just the one word, like, okay, you do this whenever that happens, but rarely is it a set cookbook for everyone, right? It more so is understanding those complexities that each individual mm -hmm. person brings to us. So, so great, great. That, that's really good. And so when we think about kind of where this industry is going, we're, we're treating myofascial pain, like what's some of the futuristic type of moves that you see happening in the next, you know, let's call it three to five years as far as, do you see more shockwave therapy or do you see more, um, you know, neuro training? I mean, it, 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 where do you kind of see it kind of evolving to? I think a combination of the two would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, I think we always come butt heads with the um, traditional way of doing things, which is, which is always tricky. Um, and you have to be a little bit like in a game of whack-a-mole to really you know move forward because in all honesty you know most of the stuff we're doing is very um very empirical so a lot of it is trial and error and sometimes it works great and sometimes it doesn't work at all and we don't have like you know i've done a fair bit of research in my life and um i'm kind of heading into that a little bit again what I find really interesting is that we are such diverse beings. So what works for you doesn't work for me. And so when we have a study so often, and what people often don't understand about this is that statistics being what they are, when we have a research study, there's a lot of like outliers and parameters that we just throw away that we don't even look at. So, you know, it always to me, and I'm super critical on this response is like, I really know how much research I even believe anymore because a lot of it is funded by the company that is like wanting to do the research proposal, the yeah. outliers are thrown out. And so then I'm like, okay, so we have this research study of like 80 specimen, 
And we ended up with like 63. Well, what happened to those 17? Like, did they get better? Did they get worse? What happened? Because we're only now looking at the ones that fit into our paradigm, right? Wow. Yeah. So I'm a little skeptical of research, which is why I kind of like to play with my empirical <laughs> kind of treatment <laughs> stuff, because then I kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work per person. But in answer to your question, I think that if we could figure out how to work with things on a neural level much more effectively than what we currently are but also work um, on the physicality of things i think what we could achieve is unstoppable like there's no ceiling for that because by implementing the two together if we could just tell the brain that it needed to do this x y and z it would do it if we let it it's just about you know convincing the brain that it can so I think if we can fix the body with modalities and parameters and treatment protocols, um, the only thing that really stops us at that point is our head. Yeah. 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 You know, um, I, I was, I was talking to this one group of uh, neuroscientists that are trying to work with athletes and they're going about training them how to get into that flow state. Right. So they kind of take them through these series of protocols and they would put them in like, um, put them in like flow tanks and have EG like, headsets on them and try to figure out what was that right rhythm to help them sneak into that flow state so they could perform better at their task. And, you know, it, it was really, it was really um, interesting that, you know, how much of, of just how little we actually know about the brain, like how much we know about the body. And, and, and it's like, I feel like we're starting to max out a lot. When I work with any of these pro guys, I feel like a lot of their, lots of their teams, I mean, those guys have access to all the latest and greatest and, and they, you know, they have most of the high-end tools and they can get, you know, they can get their hands on a lot of different things and use and really use those things in like combination. Now, a lot of times they just throw the whole kitchen sink at it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then hopefully something kind of board. <laughs> right, right. Everybody can't really do that, right? But but still, those guys do. But how little they actually know about how yeah. the how the mind impacts the body is uh it's fascinating just how much growth we have up you know, just from that standpoint alone, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and we, we know maybe, I would say conservatively 8% of what the brain can do. That's wild, that's so wild. I d we just, we just, you know, we're so, this sounds terrible, but we become so weak. Like we've allowed our brains to become weak and, and I am, I am the worst person for this, but like this whole um, cold, like hypothermia movement, movement, and I'm mm -hmm. sure you've read about it um, with, um, what's his surname? Um, anyway, where people are basically pushing themselves to extremes, like doing this cold water therapy and ice therapy and all of that. And I really admire them because they're pushing themselves past being comfortable. And I think what COVID has taught us, if anything, this year, is that, especially in first world countries, we are very comfortable with being comfortable and we are very uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing like COVID, which has changed people's lifestyles, changed their beings, their mental capacities, things like that, one virus has put people into massive amounts of, of depression, anxiety, you know, the COVID, I always tease my patients because they're all like COVID 15s now, like the 15 pound pickup from the COVID-19. <laughs> right. But you know, we've, be, we've become, we, we don't rely on our brain. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really interesting. And that's the difference between animals and people is animals just like they don't become their disease. They don't become their issues. So they want to be better. So they heal so much faster than what we do because we've got all this crap running around in our brain and we second guessing ourselves and, and like putting boundaries on what we can achieve. Animals don't do that. Um, and that's why it's really cool to have such a multifaceted practice because every time I treat a different species, I learn and I get become a better doctor because I'm like, no, I know you can do this. And it's amazing when you ch start dealing with the brain and, and just even things like um, uh, NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, um, super important, like figuring out what their triggers are, what how how to speak to them how to get the best results out of them things escalate and you really haven't changed too much you know what i mean it just blows me away sometimes because i have this little boston terrier 
He's about maybe 22 pounds, maybe 24 if I really over, overfeed him. <laughs> but he doesn't care. He's down to go versus a Rottweiler, a German Shepherd. And like, it's just like, hey, let me add him. He has no concept of where he is in the world. <laughs> like, 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 100%. And I respect it, too. And I'm like, man, I, I just love the fact that like, I feel like he's so brave, right? Because he, he just doesn't care. He's like, I'm going to take care of my owner <laughs> as if I'm in danger. For yeah. Him. <laughs> right? But uh, um, more so on a much lighter note, what's some animals that you have worked with that you feel like just kind of blew you away by what they were able to kind of accomplish and pretty much how the, what their outlook was on the world? Are there any animals that kind of pop up or any breeds that kind of make you say, oh? Yeah, you know, um, I have I have quite a lot. I've been very blessed to have such a multifaceted practice. And, you know, uh, it was talking about brain. And here's one example that I can tell you, this dog was not a dog. He must have been a person in his, like, previous life or something. So, as you know, animals are really um, about high, high quality. Um, they'll always go after the highest quality thing. Now, whether that is a treat, whether that's your praise, whether whatever it may be, like some attention. So whatever is the highest value for them, they're always going to go for. Mm. So I had a dog back in South Africa and the owners were really concerned. They were like, oh my gosh, we have to bring him in. You know, he was limping for a couple of weeks and now he like, he'll be fine. And then he's like broken and he can't move. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. Got hold of their vets. They did everything. And they're like, I don't know what's wrong with this dog. So I'm like, okay, come on over. Yeah. So we're, we're running this dog up and down in the back and he's like limping on the right back leg. And I'm like, okay, let's do that again. And so then he's running and halfway between he's like, oh, and he starts limping on the left leg. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you guys go to the front. I'm going to just take it from here. And then, so I'm trotting this dog up and down and up and down and up and down. And this dog is perfectly fine. Cause he'll come over to me. He'll get a treat. He'll go the other way, get a treat for my assistant, come back, get a treat. He does not have a lameness to even think about. And so the owner comes around the corner and all of a sudden this dog's like completely lame because they had been pampering this pooch for such a long time that every time he faltered, they'd be like, Oh my God, are you okay? So he learned and talking about neuroplasticity, he learned that behavior. Mm-hmm. And so all we did is we adjusted his back because he needed one anyway. And I said to them, no more. If he limps, you walk out of the room. Within two days, that dog stopped limping and has never limped again. Good idea. Um, that's yeah, because, you know, it's high value, you know, and that's the thing. So talking about neuroplasticity, that's a really cool example. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, this, you know, again, like so many dogs, you think are almost on de- like death's door and like completely... Um, couldn't walk, couldn't do anything. It's absolutely remarkable with the right intervention at the right time within 10 days. Like we've had, um, I used to treat a lot of Dachshunds um, and, you know, they're the dwarfs of the animal kingdom. So they have these long, long backs and these really short little legs. Right. And because they're so cute and they think they are rhinoceroses in this tiny body, they jump on furniture and they jump off furniture and they're up and down stairs, but they're a little bit like a slinky because they've got like two or three vertebrae too many. There's always like this dipping point. Oh, so man. that's where the discs go. So we've had so many dogs come in who have been completely paralyzed, incontinent, couldn't like hold their bowels or their bladder. And the vet, um, in certain cases, had recommended that they be put down because, you know, if you can't afford the $10,000 surgery, then there's nothing we can do. And it was absolutely remarkable with the combination back in SA um, of doing some chiropractic, some soft tissue and myofascial work and cage resting them with the correct medications. Within six weeks, we'd have these dogs walking. They'd be completely continent, so no messes. They weren't always super pretty. They'd be like a little bit of a Beyonce model, but they got better and better and better. And we saw this time and time again, where literally we were the last chance saloon, and we would get these dogs back to being completely functional um, within an eight to 12 week period, but which is unheard of. It's absolutely remarkable. But it's a little bit like the bumblebee. Hmm. You know, if you look at the bumblebee, the bumblebee has got this ginormous body and these tiny wings. 
And as far as physics goes, the bumblebee should never be able to fly, but nobody told the bumblebee. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no you, know, you know, this is a really good timely conversation because it just goes back to the point that we are our biggest stumbling blocks normally. We're our own biggest limitations. And, and it's true, man, like we've, we have gotten so comfortable like if someone's AC goes out, we're like, oh man, it's hot. You know, <laughs> you know, like as if we weren't able to kind of endure a little bit of, you know, humidity. Discomfort. Yeah, yeah. Just, just a, a tad bit, right? And, and, and so, you know, but what's kind of interesting though, is that in your space, at least when I'm seeing from the outside, I'm normally work more in the physical, med physical medicine side on the, um, you know, PT clinics, Kairos. But I feel like the vet, rehab world is starting to catch on to this movement a little bit more and they're starting to incorporate more holistic care is that a trend that you see picking yeah. up now as well absolutely and it's so wonderful to see because you know 15 20 years ago there was nothing at all and we were all bumbling through uh just trying to make kind of figure it out and and honestly most of what we know in the animal rehab world we've just taken from the human world okay so majority even exercises things like that and it's so translatable what is happening which is great is we're getting more validity so they're doing a lot more research they're doing a lot more investigations into kind of um different um proposals as to what works best um i still think that hands are one of the most incredible modalities that you ever um, could possess and doing manual therapy is incredible and the results you can get are phenomenal um, but yes people and you know especially the younger vets who are a little bit more open to these things and people who have been through stuff themselves and have been through like human physical therapy and really gained from that um, are starting to see the benefits and I, I also think what's starting to happen is that people themselves um, as owners are starting to advocate a little bit more for their pets yeah. and go, okay, like I understand that surgery is an option, but what else do we have? Um, and that's something that I'm going to be working on actually with um, one of my, one of the businesses we're going to be going into is actually trying to educate owners as to what their options are, because, you know, ignorance is a great excuse, but I always say, once you know, you can't use it anymore. And, you know, our dogs can't speak, our horses can't speak, our pigs can't speak. So we have to be their voices. So as owners, people are starting to look for different options. And that's really good because it forces everybody to up the bar and the standard of treatment, which is so important because if we keep doing what we've always done, we'll always do what we've always done. But once we are forced by our clientele to up our game and start offering alternatives to surgery, to um, pharmaceuticals, to normal medications, um, and trying different things that are a lot more holistic and a lot more um, long lasting even. And that's exactly where rehab comes into play, you know, and there's so many things that fall under the scope of rehab. And that's chiropractic, acupuncture, um, myofascial work, you know, manual therapy, hydrotherapy, exercise therapy, there's so much. And it's very exciting because we are seeing animals who would never have been given a chance to survive effectively, go on to live amazing lives with the, uh, with the help of rehab. So it's very cool. And it is definitely increasing. And um, I work with some amazing vets in Colorado who are very pro um, rehab and a lot of them have gone in and specialized in rehab, you know, themselves. And they're investing a lot of time, a lot of money into getting things like modalities such as shockwave, laser, all of these things so that they can help their patients better. And that's really nice to see. I love the fact that you're starting to educate the market. I mean, like, you know, I'm just sitting here listening to you and I'm just like, man, that's a classic play that the pharmaceutical companies have ran on us for so many years, like go ask your doctor stuff. Right. And, and it's, and it's worked and, and like, and like all fairness has worked out really well <laughs> for that industry. But, but you know, Hugely. like, well, well, 
on the business side, on the monetary side. <laughs> that's just the, billions, just billions. Yeah, yeah just, 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 just a couple of coins, right? I, I mean, but, but, but you know what? Rarely do we see enough of that being educated on, on leading that directly back to what the proper rehab processes can be yeah. or the different tools that are, that are out there and available to people. The best part about what you're doing, I believe, too, is that you don't have uh, the big bully in the room with the insurance companies normally dictating a lot of those services, or mm-hmm. at least less it seems yeah. than it is on the human side. Um, and, and so Definitely. I, I, I really wish you a lot of the tons of success with that. Um, when's it going to come out? Is it, is, it, is it getting ready to launch or has it already launched? As far as education? Not yet. So, so we're kind of, um, what it's going to be, the idea behind it is really, we just want to um, make it really affordable for people. We want to create small little eBooks that will help you to empower you and really just, um, you know, ask the questions why. And this is what I encourage all my patients, um, whether they are human or, um, you know, clients who have uh, animal patients, there is no such thing as a stupid question and you always have to ask the question why because if somebody cannot tell you why they are doing something they have no business doing it mm. and that's what i really want to instill in all of my patients and all of my clients is like understanding one that there's always options there's never only one thing mm. so asking the right questions of your professional is so so important you know for example you asked the perfect question like why would we use shockwave as opposed to laser manual therapy this that and the other why is it so much more beneficial and if somebody just like shrugs their shoulders and goes because it is that's not an answer (laughs) you know that's not good enough and so you know we want to be able to equip the owners with the correct questions to ask um, options available to them and things that they can do themselves because what happens very often in the human world which I've seen translate into the veterinary world is we take away people's power mm. so I had a patient yesterday who was talking about she went to um, her orthopedic surgeon to go and talk about a knee replacement and she's got some stuff going on and he completely bulldozed her and she's a very intelligent person with very per- intelligent pertinent questions And he just went, well, you don't have to worry about that, sweetie. And she almost decked him, which I was (laughs) pleased about. Um, Because that's not an answer. And we don't deserve to be railroaded. We deserve to advocate for our own health as well as the the health of um, our pets, our children, our parents. We need to get the right answers. And we need to get really valid answers that make sense. And until we get those answers, we have no business advocating for any kind of procedure, pharmaceutical, or anything else for that matter, unless we actually can explain why we are doing what we're doing and the pros and cons and the other options available. So until that happens, we really are bullying our patients. Oh, man, you know what? So, I mean, <laughs> these, are, these are the conversations I love to have, honestly, because you're challenging people to actually think for themselves. And, yeah. and you're empowering them to ask those questions that they're, quote unquote, the dumb question, right? But if you don't know the answer, then it's not dumb to you, <laughs> you, you know? <laughs> like, 100%. Like, it's 100% valid yeah. question if you don't know the answer to it. I mean, I mean so, you, you know, man, I really look forward to kind of like, as, as this stuff comes out, I would love to try to support you in any way possible because Thank I think it's you. just for the overall market. And people need to know how to approach their healthcare provider, human, animal, you know, mom, dad, kids, whatever, right? <laughs> you know, like totally. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, and, and then truthfully, um, it, it's the only way that I think that we're really going to try to get over this crisis that we have, at least in the U.S. Um, you know, we got some, we have some big issues that we're trying to overcome, right? Uh, and, and a lot of them take first with thinking for yourself, and then standing up for, mm-hmm. you know, going through the process of at least educating yourself of what's out there so absolutely and you know and then that just makes us all better practitioners because when your patients are are questioning you you have to up the bar we have to make a better standard we just do you know um this this whole thing that the doctor is god or the practitioner is god is is so archaic and it's not right and we've we've been on that platform for years and it's you no one should have that amount of power especially over someone's well-being you know 
Um, so I really do think that it's something that um, hopefully with the mindset shift and people hopefully trying to empower themselves more is going to just get better and better because we really do. We need to do, we need to do better. We need to eat better. We need to exercise better. We need to be smarter and we need to know what options are available to us in any regard, whether it's the, on the human side or the veterinary side, understanding, for example, even why would you be using this machine on my animal? Like, what are the pros? What are the cons? What can I do at home that is going to make this treatment even more successful? All of those things are really important because any modality is really helpful, as I said before, if you use it within the parameters. But if you take away someone's power and their ability because we're only with that patient for a short period of time everybody else is with them for much longer or they're with themselves yeah. so we need to equip them better for success so that may not be the best business plan but really if you get people better and you get the animals better you will never be devoid you know devoid or, or have a deficit of patients because you're ethical, you're doing the right things, and we're giving them the information they need to be better longer, and that's never a bad thing. Well, hands down, these days, I would say it is the best business model, because if, if we're learning anything, everything's on record, and if anything happens, you, your bank account might not blow up because people are actually getting better, but your name and your legacy will last going that route. So you know what, I'm, I, mean, I mean, please honestly, tell everyone how, to, how they can find you and, and at least try to stay connected to you as you roll out this um yeah process. sure so um if you look at my website it's dr michelle b with one l m i c h e l e b dot com so i'm very um available through that you're welcome to um email me or um look for me on facebook and dr michelle broadhurst or instagram and yeah we're i'm very excited about you know i'm i'm an educator so it's just it's a big part of my heart i really want people to do better i want their animals to do better and i want us to make good choices so um the website and it's not up and running yet because we haven't got everything together i'm hoping within the next three months we're going to have a rollout um but um i'll keep you guys all up to date so watch facebook look on instagram um and it's probably going to be called um helpmypetnow.com okay. um which is going to be really cool. So you'll be able to download some um, eBooks. You'll be able to download videos and a whole bunch of things um, that we put together for you guys so that you can advocate better. But, you know, just don't be scared to, in the meantime to ask those questions, those really pertinent questions as to why we're doing this. How is this going to help? What can I do? Um, and just those three is a great place to start. Love it. Love it. You know what? So I will put those in the actual show notes. And as things kind of drop out, please keep us in the loop so we can you know. At least the audience. This has been great talking Thank to you. you. I've loved it so much. Yeah, we must do this again. It was great. Absolutely.